Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you guys believe that? Yeah, stand up with me. We already had church, didn't we? My goodness. If you'll open up your Bibles or look back here on the screens at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to talk about complete victory in Christ Jesus. How many of you believe we can have complete victory? Ah, I know we can, absolutely. So let's go ahead and get started here, and I'm going to settle down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 through 58 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We can receive that? Amen. As we pray for one another and we pray for this message, let's remember Israel. We stand with Israel because we know there's a blessing with that, right? So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for your blessings upon our life, God. We do bring Israel before you and pray for peace, God, and prosperity, God. Let them be blessed, God. Protect our brothers and sisters over there, God. Bring peace to the Middle East, we pray. As we are in service today, speak to our hearts and change us, God, that we could honor you. And everybody says... Amen, amen, you may be seated. I'm glad you're here this morning. If you're streaming uh, by device, thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing this morning. feel like I've already had church, amen. Our uh, video people, they're wonderful people, man. Sometimes they go without being noticed because they're up there in the loft, but we sure appreciate what they do. When I was growing up, I was highly competitive, and to a point, I'm really still competitive. It's just in my nature. One of my favorite things to do the older that I get is not necessarily beat people, you know, in games, but I have a 10-year-old, and I love to beat Callie in anything. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. I just love to beat her, and she doesn't take it very well, and it makes me smile every time. The other day, we were playing horse, and she legitly beat me. And don't you think for a second, she didn't let me know, right? Making fun of me and gouging me and letting me know that she won. And I was so proud of her deep down, but I was still angry because I hate to lose, right? Listen, Christ died so that we can have complete victory. One of the things that I'm not good at is ties. Anybody good at ties? I don't even watch sports that can end in ties. My goodness, man. I want to know who won and why they won. One of the longest college football games to ever take place was against Arkansas State and Kentucky. And, dude, let me tell you, Arkansas Razorbacks in Kentucky, rather, it went to seven overtimes. It lasted four hours and 53 minutes. I love it, but we knew who the winner was at the end of the game. Well, Jesus Christ, we know through what we just read that we can have complete victory through him. I cannot believe in my own spirit that Jesus would come to earth and die and be sacrificed and beaten and bruised so I could end up in a tie. God doesn't want me to tie with the world or to tie with sin or to tie with that stuff that so easily besets us, right? He wants us to have complete victory through him. Amen? Yeah. Romans 8 and 37, we know that we're more than a conqueror through him. And that's exciting news, and that's what we're here to visit with you about this morning, that God has made us not where we just compete, but we completely win. We annihilate the competition. But we have to be hidden in Christ, as, as uh, Colossians chapter 3 says. We're hidden in Christ, and we know through him we can have 
complete victory. Just a quick roadmap for what we're going to do today. I've been praying for you guys, as pastors do, nothing new. And I believe that he's laid three areas on my heart to share with you this morning. And uh, A, I believe that was because he laid them on my heart. B, as I begin to um, really study them out, it's going to affect us all in some form or fashion. And then we're going to talk about three or four things at the um, end of it. Because how many of you guys know that to true victory, there is a true cost? There always is. Always is. For complete victory, there is always a cost that we have to pay. And we need to understand that. And we're going to talk about that here in a bit. Now, what we tend to do sometimes is as we seek to conquer the different areas in our life. Would not all of us are into conquering land like the warriors, right? Some of us would, I guess, if we could, but we're not necessarily into that. But we have these things in our life that we want to conquer. might be a business. It might be a career. Maybe we want to be a better spouse, whatever it is. And we look towards people who have seemingly conquered that in their life and been extremely successful. Now, that's a good thing. But what we always have to do is go back to the plumb line of Jesus Christ. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Doesn't mean that we can't receive those things from those other people, but we go back to the true, to the plumb line, which is Jesus Christ. It's great to look at Genghis Khan and Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great. Maybe in our life it's great to look at some guru that understands marriage or maybe a person like Steve Jobs. But as we look at them, we have to say, wait a second, is that biblical? And if it is, yes, then I can plot into my life. But in some form or fashion, we all want to be conquerors. We all want to be in complete victory. So the first thing that I want to visit with you about, if you're a note taker, the first thing that God has given us complete victory in is the pool of temptation. The pool of temptation. See, God, we understand that temptation's been around since the beginning of time. And, and we can get caught in really two places with temptation. We can either become shaken by temptation or we can be taken by temptation. Okay, so there's this pull of temptation that's on our life, and we can either be shaken or we can be taken by temptation. Now, shaken's where we see that tempting thing coming, and it makes us nervous because we don't think that we can beat it. We know we have past failures, and we look at that, and we say, God, I don't know if I can do it. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But through Jesus Christ, we can do it. We don't have to be shaken. We don't have to be scared, and we don't have to be taken. Had an old preacher that looked at me, and I was kind of growing up in the ministry, and he said, Matt, let me explain sin to you. He said, sin is going to take you to a place you don't want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and you're not going to afford to be able to pay what it's going to cost you. That's what sin will do to you. So sin will take us. It will take us to a place, and it will rob us. Sin is decisive, and sin is destructive, and we know these things, and we have to be careful. It's very deceptive, too. It can make us think we're getting one thing, and then we're not getting anything like we thought we were getting. One of the great illustrations that I've heard of is you take an onion, and you cover it in caramel. And you take some youth who like to race, and you have a, a caramel apple eating contest. And you set it out before them, and you see who can eat it first, but they don't know it's really an onion covered in caramel. Well, that's really like sin. The first bite's pretty good. You get down to that second bite, it's not near as good as the first one, huh? Yeah, that's what James talks about. If you want to open up your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Now, we're not going to read that for sake of time, but we will go through it here quickly. And what it says is that we're tempted by evil, 
We're lured, in a t- we're lured and enticed by our own desire. Now, that's very important that we come to that personal responsibility. That's, there's things inside of us that we have to give to God. We all have desires that we know we shouldn't have. But when that desire is acted upon and then sin, and then we know there's death. For the wages of sin is death. And James does a great job of bringing this down, how, dis- how, how, how destructive and decisive temptation can be in our lives and there's this constant pull to do things that we know that we shouldn't do to say things that we know we shouldn't say and to be in places that we for sure know we shouldn't be in right and we thank God I don't know if I can beat it I don't know if I can say no let me tell you yes Christ Jesus did not die for a tie he died so we could be complete victors through him so we go to him and in Colossians we hide ourselves in Jesus Christ because he was the one that conquered sin I love what James says in chapter 4 verse 17 he says so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin I like how the Passion Translation puts it, the same verse, 17. So if you, know you have, if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of sin. The J.B. Phillips version says this, Well, remember that if a man knows what is right and fails to do it, his failure is a real sin. Matt, why would you use three different versions? Because really, no matter how you slice it or how you say it, guess what? If we know to do good and we do bad, it is sin. Yet every one of us knows that we have done bad when we should have done good. There is a completely level ground at the cross, right? At the foot of the cross, there is level ground. And we've all been tempted. And sometimes those things shock us and they shake us. And we don't know if we can do it again. And we're worried about being taken. But our power comes through Jesus Christ. And we don't have to look at sin as something that will shake us or something that will take us. But instead, we can look at it as something that will strengthen us. It will strengthen us. Because the Spirit of God is on the inside of us. And when we look at that temptation, we know that that Spirit can rise up with inside of us and cause us to beat it. And we can gain confidence from it. I love what Joseph shares in Genesis chapter 50. He's before his brothers. He was known as the dreamer. I guess a good way to put to him was he went from the pit to Potiphar's house to the palace type thing. Actually from the the pit to Potiphar to prison to the palace. And he's standing before his brothers and his brothers are falling down and repenting before him because they're the ones that started this whole thing seemingly and they threw him in the pit. And he says this in chapter 50 verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Temptation means to ruin us, but if we will allow God's spirit to rise up within us and be the victor that he's called us to be, it will strengthen us. We will have the confidence that we know that we can go out and do the things of the Lord and not worry to be shaken, not worry to be taken, but we can be strengthened. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, Paul debunks some stuff for us here. In 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 verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, clear up a couple things. We should not be looking for temptation. (laughs) Not go out there and say, I can't wait to be tempted. Bad, bad idea. Because God doesn't tempt you, Satan tempts you. What God's going to do is turn that around in your life and build confidence so you can be stronger than you were before. And we don't have to be taken, we don't have to be shaken, but we can be strengthened by it. And here Paul breaks it down for us. He says, listen, it's not uncommon to man. 
Sometimes whenever we feel a temptation in our life, we wonder, are we the only one that struggles with this? Have you ever felt like you're on the, li- the, the island by yourself? Nobody else has to deal with this. Well, that's not what Paul says. Paul says that it's common to man. See, that lone wolf Christianity, that'll get you in trouble every time. Every time you feel like you're by yourself and you're isolated, the wolf pack is where you need to be. Here as a part of the family, as a part of the church, and if you're streaming, we love you guys. And if you're sitting at home in your pajamas eating macaroni and cheese, come to church. Come to church. There's something about us being together that's assembled. Now, if you have other reasons, that's okay. But get out of your PJs and come join us. That lone wolf mentality does not work. It's in the pack that you find safety and security you can find food for each other amen it's that place and Paul's saying listen it's not uncommon to man so don't let don't let Satan push you out on an island and say there's nobody else that struggles with this because there is what it comes back to is I'm not going to be taken by temptation I'm going to come and put myself at the feet of Jesus Christ I love what Hebrews 14 or Hebrews 4 and 15 says for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one in every respect has been, temp- has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let me read the Passion Translation. And for you guys, I'm not necessarily a Passion Translation fan. I still believe in the King Jimmy. So take a, take a deep breath, okay? Take a deep breath. I still love King Jimmy. But I love the way it puts it here. He says, he understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are and conquered sin. We are more than conquerors in him who loved us. Because he conquered sin, so I'm going to hide myself in him. And when that temptation raises its ugly head, and I have an have opportunity to go somewhere I don't need to go or do something I don't need to do, I don't have to be shaken, I don't have to be taken. I can be strengthened and say, no, it's the Spirit of God inside of me. Can you receive that this morning? Amen, amen. The next thing that I want to briefly talk about that I felt led to was prosper in peace. If you're taking notes, prosper in peace. We know that he will, get, he will relieve that pull of temptation on our life and we can beat it. But in the midst of that, we can prosper in peace. What I see so many Christians do is pace in peace. And I love it. Like they walk by like, oh no, I've got the peace of God in my life, man. I'm good. Everything's good, brother, sister, don't worry about it. You know, 15 Diet Dr. Peppers, 20 cups of coffee. You're like, no, you're not really having the peace of God in your life. Anybody been there? Let me see some hands. Yeah, I've been there before. I've got the peace of God. No, you don't. You do not. You, you need a shot of Red Bull or something. That's what you need, or NyQuil, so you can get some sleep, right? But we don't, we're not made to pace in peace. We're made to prosper in peace. That means when the waves of this world slam against our face and tell us that the baby in the womb is not really a baby, we can stay and hold our spot and refuse to give it up and know that we can be in peace because God has spoken it to us. When I look at tragedy and it has riddled my life or something unexpected circumstances and I don't know how to handle it, I can get still and know that He is God. Because I can prosper in peace, not pace in peace. I can get to that spot that peace surpasses all my understanding and I can stand and close my eyes. And as we talked about, raise my hands to the heaven and say, God, I don't necessarily understand everything, but I trust you. You can trust him. You can trust him. Because we're meant to prosper in peace, not pace in peace. Colossians 3 and 15 says this, let the king's peace be the deciding factor in your hearts. That's what you were called to. 
within one body and be thankful. What's that thing that's helping us decide to make the decision? It's the king's peace which resides in our hearts. But we have to get still. We have to trust God. Because what happens whenever we're not peaceful? Whenever we're pacing and we have that anxiety and those things that sometimes are just hard to describe but we know that it's real. You know how your insides just shake sometimes and you might not really know why? Well, in those situations, we usually make bad decisions, make choices we, we regret, jump into things that we don't need to be a part of. And if we'll prosper in peace and hear the voice of God and be still, then we'll know what God is speaking to us. I like how the translation, the Passion Translation, puts that same verse, Colossians 3 and 15. Let your hearts always be guided by the peace of the anointed one. Oh, don't you love it? It's not a anointed. It's not the anointing of God. It's the anointed one, the prince of peace. That's who I let the deciding factor be in my heart. But I've got to choose to prosper in peace. And I can have complete victory when all the world seems to be falling in around me through Jesus Christ, which is my victory, I can prosper in peace. And that's true prosperity. Oh, it's nice to have money in the bank. It's nice to have material things. But true prosperity is when the whole world seems like it's caving in and you don't know what's going on and there's change all around you to be still and know that He is God. Amen. I know I'm talking to some saints who believe that. And as we continue here, number three is walking in wisdom. We have so many Christians that don't walk in wisdom. We wander in wisdom sometimes. Have you ever known one of those guys that kind of just trip and fall into something good and they trip and fall into something else they're not even meaning to? Well, sometimes in Christian life, that's how we go. Like, oh, I made a good decision today. Bad decision. Good decision, you know. We don't necessarily have to do that. If we have peace in our hearts and we know that we can fight the pull of temptation, then we can walk in wisdom and not wonder in wisdom alone. But I can walk in it. I can make it a part of my life. Here's some signs of people who do not have wisdom. They do dumb things frequently. You guys know some people like that? I do. They think they know it all. They think they can do it all. People who don't walk in wisdom constantly look for fights. They cannot wait to get into some kind of fight, whether it was a spouse or a friend, and they constantly look about it. And those people, they crack me up because they haven't even finished one fight before they move on to the next fight and the next fight and the next fight. Those people don't have wisdom. People who don't have wisdom constantly shift blame. They never know how to take responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault or something else like that. But people with wisdom, all we have to do is turn those around. If you have wisdom, you do smart things. In the words of pastor, duh, right? You do smart things. It's not rocket science. If you have wisdom, you look at somebody, it seems like, man, they're always prospering. They're always doing something right. It's probably because they have wisdom. They, they ask people for advice. That's what people who walk in wisdom do. They do smart things. They accept advice. They ask for help. They look for peace. Remember what Christ said, blessed is the peacemaker? Ooh, that's Christ's blessing on your life when you look for peace. And that's where I want to be because that's where wisdom is. And they take personal responsibility. These are my faults. These are my failures. These are the things that I have to change. We know that in Proverbs it says, fools despise wisdom and knowledge. Shows me that it's my choice to walk in wisdom. I have to be willing to do some things that maybe other people aren't so I can obtain wisdom. But fools, 
They just despise it and go on. I don't want to be a fool. I want to be a wise person. But as we walk in wisdom, what's some things that we can expect? Well, I think as I was praying this last week, one of the things that we can expect is divine protection. Whenever we walk in wisdom, we can expect divine protection. God has called, excuse me, God has called each one of you guys to do something in which you need protection. You have made some choices in your life that other people do not agree with. You have some ministries in your life that you know the culture does not agree with. And it could cost you some things and could cause you to be in some situations and you need divine wisdom. Well, if we're going out here and doing evil things, we cannot have divine protection. We have to be in the protection plan of God. Proverbs 14 and 6, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. Whenever we're reckless and we're careless and we just make decisions and don't stop to check them out, then we get out from underneath that divine protection, that place where God has put us, that place where his hand is over our life and we can see that prosperity that we need to see. But we can stay in divine protection. Another thing real quickly that we see whenever we walk in wisdom is we have some good physical health. Now, I want to preface this. This this is not something that is necessarily guaranteed because we all come from different walks of life and the bodies change and different things like that. But we can be the best of what the the hand we were dealt, if you will. Proverbs 18 and 4, it says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear See, whenever we get out and start not using wisdom and get into areas that we don't need to be and get out from divine um, protection, our spirit can become crushed. We can become in a place where God can't use us. And it's interesting that the Bible says that men can endure a sickness, but what they cannot endure is a crushed spirit. So what's the remedy for that? Well, he shows us in Psalms 34 and 18, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. How do I do that? I repent and go back into the wisdom of the Lord and say, God, I'm in a place that I don't need to be in. Or if you're in a place that you had no control over, you're in a circumstance, a situation you didn't ask for, you didn't want it, it was created by something else or somebody else, you go down and you submit yourself and say, Christ, I'm brokenhearted, I'm broken. And it says whenever we do that, God is near and he will repair a crushed spirit. But we have to choose to walk in wisdom. And being at the place we know Proverbs teaches us that understanding, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. And then it goes down and says understanding is also the beginning. So we know that understanding and the knowledge of the Lord, we know that wisdom are all interlinked together. So really the first place that we have to start is at that place where we have a reverence and a fear of God and saying, God, you're up there, I'm down here, you know stuff that I don't know, I know that I need you and I can't explain all that, but God, I hold you in a place that is above myself. And whenever we do that, we begin to really walk in the wisdom that God has called us to walk in. But... We have to choose to do that. We have to choose to say, God, I don't want to fall to temptation. God, I want to choose peace. God, I don't want to walk in anything but wisdom. And when we do that, we know that we can walk in the complete victory of Jesus Christ. But as I said before, like every complete victory, there is a complete cost to it. There is a true cost. There's a gentleman named Albie Rogers that I worked for as a young man. I worked on his farm, and he, we would flip out. We'd flip the house one time and did all kinds of stuff, man. He, he worked me. I loved it, man. He worked me and taught me a bunch of stuff, and he constantly used this phrase. He said, Matt, are the lines true? 
Is the wall true? Is this true? Is that true? And what he was saying is there's a plumb line here. There's a place that we go back to straight with. And that's where we have to be. There's a place where we say that there is a true cost to this. There's something that we've got to Annie. Martha Cawthorn was a teacher in Arkansas. The first day of class, she taught a military history class, and she loved it so much. The kids were excited, and they showed up, and they found that there were no desks in the room. And they thought, what in the world is going on? Miss Cawthorn said, you have to earn your desk. If you want to sit in your desk, you have to earn it. Well, they worked diligently all day to try to earn it. Maybe it was based on the grades they made. Maybe it was based on manners. Maybe it was based on me saying yes and no and, and please and thank you. And she said, no, that's not it. Well, they kept guessing and kept guessing. Finally, it was the last period of the day. By this time... TV camera crews were there, and as you know, the cell phone generations of people, people were talking and wondering what's going on. The last period of the day, she opened the door where she had put the desk, and with those 27 desks were 27 veterans. And each veteran walked out with the desk and put it in the classroom. And she said, you did not earn the right to sit where you're at. It was by these men and women which you have earned the right to sit where you're at. See, there's always a cost to true victory, and we have to bring our true selves. And I believe one of the things that Jesus talks about is the famous verse in John 14 and 23. Whenever he says true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and he is seeking such of these to worship him. See, he says, will worship. See, it shows us that a true worshiper, this is a lifestyle. They will worship. Despite whatever goes wrong, they're still going to worship. And the neat thing is that Christ is seeking such, the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now, if we go back to our first scripture in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see that thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul gives us a glimpse of what it is to be a true worshiper. Let me read that scripture to you. Here he gives us a glimpse of what it's like to be a true worshipers. He says, but thanks be to God, he recognizes who the gift is from. Who gives us the victory, he recognizes the gift, and it's through Jesus Christ. See, he recognizes the sacrifice. And as a true worshiper, that's where we have to be. I recognize that it's from God. I recognize that it's complete victory. And I recognize that it's only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. With true victory, there's always a true cost. So I bring myself to God as a true worshiper and say, I will worship you. I will worship you when it's not popular. I will worship you when it's not easy. I will worship you when it seems like the whole world is falling in on me. I will be true to who I am. Paul goes on and he gives us some other ideas of what we have to be true to. The true cost, a true worshiper. Then he goes on in verse 58 of chapter 15 there. I think we have to have true grit. Now, how many of you guys thought when I said true grit, the movie, the cowboy movie with John Wayne? Oh, yeah. In your eye, man, I love, I love that movie. And the remake was also good. 
But sometimes we just have to have that true grit. The true cost is making up our mind. Paul is writing to his Corinthians friends and he's saying, listen, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable. What is he saying? You have to have some grit in your life. You have to make up your mind that you're not going to move. It doesn't matter what culture throws at you. It doesn't matter what they say is okay. If it does not line up with the word, I will not move. I will be steadfast. Let the mockers mock. Let the scoffers scoff. But I will be steadfast in what Christ has spoken into our life. Can I get an amen? Because we want to be true. You guys have all heard that phrase, cowboy up, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Cowboy up. Saddle up and ride away. You know? Do it anyways. Well, some of us need to dad up. Sometimes I just need to dad up. i got to quit beating on the pulpit. Sometimes I just have to dad up. Dad, why are we doing this? Because God has called me to be the priest of my household, and I feel like he's speaking to me, and this is what he's called me to do, so this is what we're going to do. We can't watch that. We can't listen to that. We can do this, and we can't do that. I don't understand, Dad. I can't, I, I can't help that you don't understand, but we need to dad up. Sometimes we need to mom up. You know what God has spoken to you to speak into your girl's and son's life, and we just have to mom up. Sometimes we just have to lead her up. God has put you in a place at your business, at this church, wherever it's at, and you know what God has called you to do, and we just have to lead her up and get that grit and make up her mind. I'm going to be immovable and steadfast. Amen? Yes. And I only had two cups of coffee this morning. I'm doing good. I did have a couple donuts. I did. I did. See, we have to make up our mind. Pastor Mike and Ronnie told me when I first started ministry, they said, now Matthew, they didn't say Matthew, they said, now Matt, they said, listen, you're going to encounter some things that will near sweep you off your feet. But the more you get into ministry and the more you do, the better it gets. I, had, I heard one preacher put it like this. Satan's going to eat your lunch and look at you and pop the bag. <laughs> and we've all been there. But Matt, what nearly blows you over right now and feels like a hurricane in your face, if you will stick with it and keep working, years from now you won't even feel the breeze off the same event. But Matt, what they were saying, and they didn't say it in these words, but now I get it, you have to be steadfast. You have to keep coming back. You have to, you have to be immovable. You're going to have to preach some things that culture's not going to like. You're going to have to pastor in some ways that people may not agree with, but you're going to have to have that real, true grit. James 1 and 2 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Oh, we know that one day, as Christians, and we stay steadfast, we'll stand before our maker, and he'll say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come into heaven. But we also know the principle behind that, too, that the trial that I'm going through, if I will stay steadfast, if I will have that grit in my life, then I know that God has another blessing set aside for me that my mind cannot even comprehend. But I've got to stick it out. Got to have true grit. Got to have true grit. Another thing that we have to have is true Diligence. Paul goes on in that same verse, 58, and he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's not enough, guys, just to show up. we got to care while we're there. That word abounding in good work, it really means to excel, to grow, to increase, almost kind of like a supernatural effect. And Paul puts that word before that, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That means I need to show up and I need to have progress. 
what God has called me to, what he has said do. I have to have a diligence about me. That means I have to do the preparation and the study. You know, hospitality was so important in Bible days. People, man, people loved hospitality. and It was rude not to be ready for guests and for visitors. And I think we can adopt that same thing into our life. Whenever we go into our prayer time and ask Christ to speak to us, let's be ready. Let's have our notepad. Let's have our prayer request and go in there and say, God, I am here to entertain you. Yeah, I'm going to give you uh, petitions. I'm going to ask you to do things in my life, but I will be quiet and I will listen. I am here, God. I'm here to entertain you, to worship you, to love you, to ask you what you want me to do today. And then I'm going to go out and do it with all the diligence that I possibly can. I want to excel in it. And I know i got some believers. Amen? But that's what Paul is saying, always abound in that good work. Ooh, the four-letter word, work. Right, right, right. No, you guys are workers, you guys are workers. But we have to have that true diligence, and Paul continues to go on. If you're a note-taker, this is the final one. True motives. True motives. you got to keep them in line. Oh, it's so easy to get your motives out of line. It's so easy to begin to do things, the work of the Lord. This is what Paul says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's so easy to begin to do things for the accolades of men and women, right? To have the slap on the back, to have the applause. Man, that wears out real quick. Because <laughs> whenever you do your due diligence, that's sometimes not enough. Can I get an amen? Yeah, sometimes it's not. You've got to be true to it. and You've got to know that your labor is not in vain, that what you're doing matters, that the giving, the caring, the sowing matters. But we've got to make sure that our motives are pure and true, and we'll reap that reward. That's what Paul is saying. Make sure we do it with pure and true motives. Wednesday night, I get to drive the van, and it's, un, it's like many people in here, Rod and Rebecca and Cal and I, and they're Sunday morning drivers, so there's a whole slew of people who drive the bus, so it's not just me, and if you tithe and you give to our church, then you help provide the fuel for our van and the tires and keeping it clean and washing it, so we're all a part of this together, and I wanted to share it. We've been going out east of town picking up a young lady. Her name is Shay. Shay's been coming to our youth group for about a month. I was driving home the last 10 minutes of my route, and I don't know if you've ever driven a van before. <laughs> Sometimes it can be kind of tricky. Something happens to teenagers between the altar and the door. You know what I mean? We can have an experience at the altar, and before we get to the door, mm, it's almost like we hit rewind or something. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. You get these kids on the bus, and of course they're loud, and they do things like that. It's what normal teenagers do. It would happen anywhere. But I'm driving Shay, and you, you got to know, you guys ever been in a job like that where you're like, God, am I making any difference at all? If you haven't, we need some van drivers, so I have a position for you. <laughs> Knock on the door. I have a position for you, okay? <laughs> but sometimes it's like any other things, and you guys know what I'm talking about. You just wonder if you're making a difference. And I preach to those kiddos and just preach to them the love of Jesus like Tanner and I do every Wednesday night try our best to do she's on the way home and she goes Matt she goes I need to ask you I think I need to get saved again I was like oh move up here man this is this is why I do what I do I said move up here behind me so for 10 minutes we got to just share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with this freshman young lady and we got to share with her that she had this experience with Christ and she knew that it was real. And I got to share with her, well, then probably Christ was dealing with you about some things you need to get straight. And she goes, yeah, he was. I said, listen, nobody can pray that prayer but you. But what I can do is I can help you, encourage you, and lead you to that point. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray with you right here on the van. And we prayed. 
And she was about to get off the van, and she looked at me, and she said, Matt, I'm going to go home and pray tonight. I'm going to make sure that this stuff is right before the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. I said, do you have a Bible, Shay? She goes, no, I don't have a Bible. I said, well, we can get one for you. We've made up these little packets, and inside them they have little notepads in them and a, and a highlighter and a pen, everything that really somebody who's starting to learn the Bible needs. And I said, I'll get a devotion for you. And she goes, that would be great. So Friday afternoon, I got to call her house, and I got to talk to her dad, and I pulled up in the yard, and I met her dad outside and shook his hand and said, we are so proud of what's happened in in Shay's life. Thank you so much for letting us be a part of it. Here is a devotional, and here is a Bible. And we have to remember that God will send those type of stories our way and let us be a part of that to keep us on track. And remember, it's not in vain. It's not for accolades of men. Now we need to encourage each other, but we know that it's for the Lord. And this is what I know. When we become that true worshiper, when we get to that place where we know that there's that true cost of which many of you guys are, and I thank you for that, we get to that situation, it's going to lead us to true surrender. And if you're not a Christian in the house today, but you feel that tugging at your heart as Shay did, it's time to truly surrender your life to Jesus Christ. God is taking you to that point. The Spirit is wooing you towards Him. If you're listening to us by device and you're not in that place right now where you're correct with Christ, He is a loving God. We can cast all of our cares at the feet of a gentle and patient and kind God. And He's wooing us there, but when we get to that true worship, we get to that place, we can say, you know what, there's true surrender there. But as I look out, I know that God is dealing with some of you this morning. He's led you to a place in your life and you're not sure if you want to go. He's asked you to do some stuff, maybe volunteer in a particular area, maybe take up a leadership role somewhere around and you're not sure if you want to do it. Hey, I've been there before. He's asking you to continue on in true surrender. One of my favorite stories for me whenever I came here was three o'clock in the morning and I was on my couch in my house at Bray Duel and I was asking God, God, I don't know if I want to go back into ministry. I'm really comfortable. Anybody been there? I was just really comfortable. And God spoke to me through the word, and it was a direct word. And I knew at that point I either had to choose to surrender or be in rebellion. He was asking me, are you going to be a true worshiper? Walk in the fullness of what Christ has given us. This complete victory over temptation through peace and godly wisdom. But the cost... The cost is that we be true. And we say, God, whatever it takes, I'm willing to surrender it. Would you bow your heads with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.